Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And welcome to the new year. This is oh, yes. the first episode for 2022. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy, yes, happy new, new Year. I hope everyone's feeling good and recovered from their New Year festivities. And I hope you're excited to dive into a pretty awesome topic. We are talking with Steve Hedlund, who's the communications manager and communications and events manager here at GSA. And we're also speaking with Ian Roberts from MOE. And we are diving into the topic of shockumentary media. We're starting the year off strong. That's right. Yeah. This is a cool episode with some really fascinating stories. And we're talking about a topic that is just super interesting and Pretty controversial, but um, I think we did it in a pretty diplomatic way. So I think you're going to enjoy it. But <laughs> <We> think. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Before we get into it, you know what we got to do. I got to remind you to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. Yeah. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, do so at Aquademia Pod. If you want to contact us, fill out the form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you enjoyed the episode today, we would love you forever if you write a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. Maddie, did you enjoy the episode today? This was one of the best episodes ever, <laughs> honestly. Sadly, Maddie was not able to join us for the recording of this episode. So you won't, <laughs> it, it's very sad, but you won't hear her voice in this recording, but we wanted to make sure we got her in the intro. So you did get to hear Maddie's lovely voice as you started. Start your new, new year, year off right. That's right. You don't listen With to Aquadimia. the show because of Sean and I. That's right. <laughs> so, so enjoy this episode and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, so we're sitting down today with Ian Roberts from MOE and our very own Steve Hedlund, returning champion from here at GSA, who is, Steve, you are the communications manager here at GAA, correct? Correct, communications and events manager. And Ian, what is your title at MOE? My title now is uh, director of communications uh, for both Scotland and Canada, Um, but, uh, you know, actually being a salmon farmer uh, in my past life, uh, about 30 years ago, I I started as a, a scuba diver and fish feeder. All right. So this is going to be a really super interesting conversation because we are talking about uh, something that Steve coined to me as shockumentaries. And I'm sure I don't know if that's an industry term or something that you came up with. Uh, I know it was used in this article that we're going to reference here, but we have seen some media coming out recently that uh, in documentary form, that's very shocking. And it's it's termed shockumentaries. And we started having a conversation with Steve saying that would be a really interesting topic to talk about on the podcast. And he said, well, there is this article in Sea uh, West News that interviewed Ian Roberts. Maybe we can get him on the show to talk about it too. And we had an initial phone call with Ian and he just dropped all kinds of bombs on us that we thought this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a great episode. People are really going to find it interesting. So here we are. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Steve, thanks for taking the time out of your day to sit, sit in with us too. And uh, I think, Steve, can you just kind of give a quick synopsis on why why we're deciding to tackle this topic? I think because of the emergence of so-called shockumentaries, there's a push, particularly from the, uh, I think, from the vegan community to um, to attack 
the aquaculture community and the fisheries yeah, community, the seafood the community, seafood community whole, in yeah. general. Yeah, in general. Um, and um, I think the purpose here really is, um, you know, for us communicators and, and marketers in the industry, how do we best um, represent ourselves? How, how do we be more proactive and less reactive and uh, getting out in front of, um, of, of what we, we would consider to be um, uh, negative uh, information or perhaps you know, misleading or false Even information. false information, so, yeah. yeah. And, and I wanna, you know, we're not going to talk too specifically about any specific documentaries that have come out there, but I will, I think, to give people kind of an idea of what we're talking about, I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with the documentary Seaspiracy from Netflix. And then there's this new one coming out. What is the new one called? Eating Our Way to Extinction. Right, Eating Our Way to Extinction. Ian, you are pretty familiar with this stuff because you've had some some kind of hands-on experiences with this. So g- give us your uh, initial take on, on this topic and kind of how you feel generally. And then we can kind of go into some of your experiences that you've had that, to talk about kind of how this media is being used and, and being produced. And why? Yeah, yeah, be, be happy to talk about some specific examples, but just generally, um, you know, I moved from the farms to public relations and communications in around 2008 because I was personally frustrated with the narrative. And, and keep in mind, I was farming in British Columbia. And if anybody follows the, the seafood industry and, and salmon farming, they'll see the, uh, the, the kind of issues that have been happening around uh you know, social license and government decisions in British Columbia. So I, I took it upon myself and uh, my company, Moe, uh, then was creating an internal media department. So uh, fortunately, uh, I'm probably the only one that put up my hand for it. Sucker I am and uh, um, took on the job. Um, and, you know, over the last 12 or 13 years, there's been numerous programs, whether it be Jean-Michel Cousteau, Jacques Cousteau's son. Back in 2009, there was 60 Minutes in about 2014. Canada's 60 Minutes uh, is W5. That happened a few years ago. And then lately, these these two films that you mentioned, Seaspiracy and Eating Our Way to Extinction. And what I've seen is, you know, just generally an invitation to participate in these films back when, mm-hmm. um, but knowing that the editing floor can be cruel to you. So, you know, if you kind of smash it out the park on behalf of aquaculture, you might not end up in the particular program. And if you drop the ball, you might feature highly in the program. So that's always the risk you take. But more recently, and, and, you know, this isn't new and, and it certainly isn't specific to the seafood sector. If I think of a, uh, a filmmaker that kind of moved from funny comedies uh, would be a fellow named Michael Moore, which many people know of in, in America. I mean, I, I loved his film uh, uh, Canadian Bacon. It was just a funny comedy about America trying to start a war with Canada. It was brilliant. Uh, and then he moved to these documentaries where I realized early on it really wasn't a fair setup. You know, someone was meant to fail. It was a pre-scripted you know, documentary, and it didn't matter, you know, what the protagonist said, it was going to be the same conclusion. And and we've seen these Michael Moore type documentaries creep into our sector now, the latest being Seaspiracy Needing Our Way to Extinction, when really, we were given zero opportunity to speak on camera, which is new to me, I, I realize, you know, they're there may be an invitation to get on there 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 may be heavy editing happen in the in the editing room but today we're seeing us completely excluded from the conversation which is frustrating from 
you know, a consumer's point of view where you're trying to find the facts, especially around food. It's such a hot topic. Yeah. People want to know about where their food comes from. And, and, and when uh, you rope in not, the social being... issues in there too. I mean, there's a lot of that. It looks yeah. like there's a lot of that in these two. And I want I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but I want to, I want to, before we get too far into the specific media, I want to talk about documentaries in general. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, specifically with like the, you know, Michael Moore kind of, I guess he, he kind of founded this, this type of documentary that we're seeing a lot of, but you know, in, by definition, in theory, a documentary is supposed to just present facts, right? It's supposed to just be, we're giving you, uh, uh, I think the idea is that it's an unbiased, like fact giving medium when of course, every single documentary is given with a, a, with an agenda in mind, you know, Everybody has a side because we're human and we have emotions and, and it's hard to be completely objective. And so I think w- one of the issues with how they're received here, a lot of these documentaries, even like the crew, tri- the crew crime, the true crime documentaries that you see that, are, that have gotten wildly popular over the few years, they also have a very specific viewpoint and they're, they are trying to convince you of something. It's not just giving you facts there. It's a convincing argument for or against something. And I think a lot of people... They're viewing it as entertainment and then they're taking it at face value in that they're not considering that this person is coming to, this filmmaker is coming to it with a very, very specific point of view and probably very strong belief one way or another, or else there's no reason for them to really have the passion to make that documentary. And so, you know, that's why it's going to seem really, really one-sided, especially when you're on the side that it's kind of going against. So just want to kind of talk like that. That's just all documentaries, right? Yeah. Yeah. I must admit, I mean, I came from it from a very naive thought where a documentary was kind of a road of discovery, Mm -hmm. right? You're, you're starting out on a subject and you're learning as you go. And, you know, in an hour and a half, you and the director have come to a conclusion based on all the evidence. And now I've realized that, yeah, it's, it's a it's a bit of a scripted movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the evidence is going to be provided to the audience that kind of proves the hypothesis. And I tell you, I, I look at most of what I watch now on Netflix and, and other streaming platforms uh, with, with a critical eye, which I don't know if many people just have the experience like like we do and, and others in the food business, at least, that would look at this as critically as we do. Yeah, that's the key, I think. And I'm trying to bite my tongue here as much as possible because I have some strong opinions on this topic. But as a video editor myself, I know the power of it's very easy, believe it or not, to elicit emotions. Yes. Yeah. There are there are strings that you can heart strings, emotion strings that you can edit into your film. And it's very easy to, to sway people. So Ian, to your point, watching something, what I what I hope people get out of this episode, one is when you watch something, watch it from that critical perspective. Take it at face value, but then do more research if you're really passionate about what they're trying to portray, because there's more information out there. You can't just believe one film, one documentary, whatever it is. And I think that's, that's important, even reading the news nowadays, mm-hmm. especially in America. There's multiple <laughs> outlets, and you have to... Uh, you have to pick and choose or, or read them all and, and, and kind of make your own conclusion. But to me, it's just a little bit frustrating when there's a documentary out there that people do take for face value and they leave out key facts. It's, it can be misleading. But again, I don't I don't want to I don't want to go down the road of my true emotions. So I'll try to <laughs> sit back and continue to listen to all the three of you. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry if I uh, if I kind of interrupted us and took us on a, another tangent. Ian, I don't know if you remember where you were <laughs> where you're headed. If you want to continue your thought, you know, I 
it's just I'll age myself here. And instead of people trying to do the math, I'm 50 years old. Big revelation, um, which means I grew up in the 80s uh, right at that time. And Steve, you'll probably remember is when the wild fisheries capped at around 90,000 or 90 million tons a year. And aquaculture was just being discussed. And my interest was actually aquariums. And, uh, you know, our, our take of of these aquarium fish just couldn't continue from the wild. We had to start breeding them in captivity. And, and then it transferred to food fish. And I went to school for aquaculture. But uh, a big influence on me back then was Jacques Cousteau. I mean, you know, Jacques Cousteau talking uh, about the evolution of moving from capture fisheries to actually farming the seas. And it was a brilliant quote. Um, uh, and I, my, my first instance into this was 2009 when I mentioned his son, Jean-Michel Cousteau, was doing a documentary in British Columbia. And we heard that he was up in our area kind of making a link between you know, wild salmon runs depleting and the link between sea lice and the link between whales and this whole story. So I called the production company up in California and just said, I understand you may be doing a story that may be speaking about us. You know, would you be interested to come to the farm? And uh, um, they seemed shocked that I asked. It was you know, a revelation that we would actually invite them to the farm. So so they came and it was exciting for me because I have a Cousteau, you know, swimming in in one of our pens and scuba diving. And I tell you, I was, I was in shock when uh, Mr. Cousteau came up from the bottom at a rapid rate and he had uh, a dry suit on. I guess he hadn't dove in a dry suit before. And he came bombing up to the surface feet first. And my first thought was, oh, my goodness, this Cousteau can't scuba dive. Um, and my my second thought was, please don't hurt yourself in my salmon pen. Yeah. That is not going to be a good story. But we uh, we had <laughs> because we were interested, we filmed it. And uh, the producer came walking over to me immediately and said, tell me you're not going to use that against us. And for me, that was the first time that I had realized that this may be a pre-written script. And, you know, there may be controversy here. I, I thought they were there to learn, to discover, to, you know, dive in the pens. And and I realize now that, that yeah, maybe this is pre-written and, and we're just here to fill in space. And, you know, when I watched it, I would say, yeah, my concern was accurate. But uh, that was back in 2009. And it's just kind of evolved over time. And I would describe it as this, you know, there was... There was controversy 20, 30 years ago. Aquaculture was new. There were many questions and there, there were many gaps in knowledge. And uh, as, as salmon farmers, specifically salmon, were busy, you know, trying to perfect production methods and grow fish and, and keep them surviving in, in the natural environment, um, some people were filling the blanks um, and filling these gaps in information. And over time, as you know, the old adage, um, uh, a lie has run around the world twice before truth even has its shoelaces tied up. Um, you know, I think over time here, especially over the last 10, 15 years, a lot of these fictions have been corrected. So fact is cap capturing up with fiction. And I think some filmmakers are not courageous to actually discuss this. Um, so that's why we're seeing some filmmakers block dialogue in the film because they don't want that narrative to confuse the script. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and, and it's really hard to to insert, insert yourself into there. And, and again, I, I feel bad for the audience because they may be completely naive like I was to what can occur to make you have an opinion. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, well, we, we watched the, the trailer again for a few of these and the comment section is insane. They're just blindly, 
you know, every, you know, what is what do they say? They should show this at every single school and every teacher should show this to their kids. And this should be free and available to everyone and, and required viewing and all this. Like people just, they don't think, but they, they just think with their heart instead of their mm-hmm. brains. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like what Ian's saying. And I almost see it as part of a larger marketing campaign, documentary making. Yeah. Um, it's It's a tool in the cycle that includes petitions and email marketing and and when it is that as Ian says it's more it's more about it's scripted it's more about a means to an end versus exploratory and uh, I think that's what separates the two types of documentaries as he's yeah. saying so and you got to remember every filmmaker whether they're making documentaries or feature films or short films or sci-fi or whatever every filmmaker to some degree you know thinks that they are Steven Spielberg and thinks that they are just the most important filmmaker and my film is the most important and it's out of my mind and my ideas are, you know, golden. So don't mess with them. And I think there's a part, there's, there's, you know, you need to have an ego to successfully work in the film industry. And that ego is going to come into play when you're doing anything like this. And so I think, you know, that's something that people don't think about either. True. Yeah. Yeah, But You know, yes, I am not a filmmaker, nor do I aspire to be one. But, you know, you would think that you would have the courage to test your hypothesis. Mm. You know, it's any good science experiment tests, test the hypothesis to see if it's true or not. And um, I mean, it's it's not it's not supposed to be a fictional story. I mean, it's it's not a Star Trek story where, you know, it's, you know, whatever the ending may be. You know, that you're playing with real people and real lives here. Mm -hmm. And yes, you may have an opinion, but have the courage to explore if your opinion or your perspective is based on fact. Over my career, I've done hundreds of farm tours and and I find it so satisfying that someone, you know, at least if they're coming out to tour the farm and visit the farm, they've they've they have an open mind because they're they're coming out. They want to learn. Um They want to learn. And, you know, they may have questions. They may have apprehensions. Just a simple one is, you know, I've heard the fish are crowded in the cages and they have no room to swim. And and then you come out and see it. And when you realize you can't even see a fish in the pen, you realize there's a lot of room there. Just this type of information firsthand that the audience could be seeing through the lens of a filmmaker would be helpful for them. I mean, when we hear the narrative, you know, fish cramped in these cages and then the visual doesn't match the narrative, it makes the audience think. Um, and, and I'll tell you that, you know, 99.9% of the people that have come out to the farms have said, absolutely, my perception has improved over what I thought was the case on, you know, a fish farm. And, and it's really, really satisfying. But we haven't had the opportunity to bring that to the masses. There's about 5 million people that live in British Columbia. And I often said, if I could just bring 5 million people out today to see the farm, my job would be done. I'd put myself out of work. <laughs> You know, um, uh, and and the only opportunity we have to do that is through social media and filmmaking. And, you know, unfortunately, if you look at um, uh, I think it's eating our way to extinction, this latest film, I mean, we've got names behind that from Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they have reached that we will never have. I don't know, Steve, your followership on social media, but I doubt it's tipping a million. Um, <laughs> and uh, not close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we just don't have that reach. And it's really disappointing when you can bring one person out at a time to a farm and improve their perception. And then you lose potentially a million that watched Netflix last night, you know, right. 
Um, and it, what a shame. And it's the same thing, and not even just with films, with everything. We've talked about before the, the headlines. What makes a sexy headline? Like, hey, this farm is doing everything right, and the fish are happy and healthy, and they, they come up with a really good product. Is that sexier than, hey, this f- fish species is worse for you than bacon, and you should avoid it because it, it'll you know kill your family, whatever. Like, What's a sexier headline? What is going to draw more eyes? The negative headlines and the negative topics are just more interesting to people. They want to, they, they want to learn more about that. And so, you know, that's also the battle that we have to fight. We're already downhill because we're trying to communicate positive information as opposed to negative. Yeah, it's already that I'm disadvantage. Just, I, I'm as guilty as the next because I'll admit in our local paper, we used to have a roses and thorns section. Uh, you ever seen those in the, the local <laughs> no, paper no. where people just write in a thank you or they write in, you know, I, I hate you. Oh, um, well, that sounds and, fun. And, and and I must admit, my eyes were lured towards the thorns rather yeah. than the roses yep. because it was just juicier <laughs> yeah. and and sexier, and it was clickbait. People love I drama. Mean, that was that was the clickbait? Absolutely. People love drama. Yeah, yeah. And and you're right. I mean, uh, you know, the story we have to tell sometimes is very factual. It's very data driven. It's very science driven. And me just saying that has probably made someone fall asleep. Um, <laughs> We're losing listeners. <laughs> Although our listeners are, are you know, there are a lot of industry people and they're, they're into that stuff. So maybe you, maybe they perked up when you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, the flip side of that is we have a great story to tell. There are so many compelling stories of why people have ventured into fisheries and aquaculture. Um, and, and I find it fascinating. And, and it really is an emotional story. And, and that's what disappoints me is we don't have an opportunity to put someone that, you know, just looks the part, looks like they want to do something right, providing good food, and they want to talk about their job, their career, growing food, and they are not given the opportunity to talk about it in films like Seaspiracy and Eating Our Way to Extinction. And uh, uh, what, what a shame. And what a shame for the audience. And even if it is both of those films directed to a more vegan, friendly audience, I think even vegans like truth and fact, um, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, well, as long as it lines up with their narrative. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, cognitive dissonance, is that the word for information that just doesn't uh, compute with your ethics or your or your ideology? But, um, right. but, but I still think there's an appetite for many people to expand their knowledge and, and just test themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we're in, you know, we're, we're, we're recording this in November of 2021, and we're still very much in a pandemic and, you know, seems to be going on forever. And I think it's interesting because I must say, anecdotally, I don't think there's been much of a reaction to eating our way to extinction. And like I said, there's some big Hollywood names behind this that have been pushing it. Yeah. And the production value is out of this world. Mm, I mean, it's a beautiful looking film. Sean, are you a publicist for the movie? (laughs) I'm just saying. cutting that part out. I'm just saying. Visually, visually it's stunning, which just gives it that more, you know, it's more alluring. Absolutely. Absolutely. But but I wouldn't say that it's, you know, uh, uh, hit the, uh, the the red carpet, no. um, uh, you know, in any significant way. And I just wonder whether, you know, we're two and a half year, two years into a pandemic, um, you know, news has been doom and gloom. It's it's been kind of a message of hopelessness and fear. And I just wonder now whether we're at the point where we're looking for a bit of hope. And we're looking for a bit of solution. And I think as we talk about 
even food security during this pandemic, that fisheries and aquaculture has an absolutely fantastic story to tell. So I think there's a real opportunity and, and I think there's a real appetite, pun intended, for, um, for the audience and consumers to hear about solutions to these issues and, and to think about hope rather than just live in hopelessness. And, and that's what the aquaculture story delivers. So I'm, you know, hey, if there's any aspiring filmmakers out there and, and true documentary makers that want to explore the issue from start to finish, um, please, please, let, let's do it. And, and let's, you know, make it the same production value that, uh, that, that Sean is so excited about watching the, the trailer. <laughs> yeah. So when we talk to you, I, well, first of all, I want to just say, I couldn't even remember the name of the film, so I am definitely not, uh, not uh, a publicist for them. But when we talked to you on the phone a couple of weeks ago, you told us some of your, some of the stories from your actual interactions with uh, some of the filmmakers and some of these, you know, you, you had some stories like you mentioned earlier about the 60 minutes and then into some of these newer documentaries and some of your interactions. Can you walk through some of those stories just so we can kind of get an idea of what your experience was? Yeah, absolutely. And feel free to interrupt me so I don't babble on for the next hour and a half. Don't worry. I have no problem with that. (laughs) Very briefly, I spoke to my experience with, you know, my, my hero son, Mm -hmm. uh, Jean-Michel Cousteau. And um, a few years later with 60 Minutes, um, there was uh, our critic and there was me. We, we shared the screen for 20 minutes. And it was interesting because that was one and 60 Minutes really, you know, they have to do their homework. And, and when they're caught out not doing their homework, they really are caught out. So um, I think we were on the heels of them being embarrassed by a certain document that was leaked but wasn't leaked. And so they were really, really wanting to do their research before they published you know, their show. Um, and I remember the, the director, it was hosted by Dr. Sanjay Gupta, very intelligent man. And uh, we had a great conversation on the farm, but the director had said to me, I must admit, we've been working on the story for six months and you wouldn't believe the amount of rabbit holes that we've been sent down, you know, as in, in the course of this, you know, you should look at this, they do this. And, and, you know, it was complimentary and thank you for being open. Thank you for letting us, you know, fill up a lot of these rabbit holes. But unfortunately at that time, um, even though, and, and we could go through a bunch of acronyms uh, for fish viruses that have apparently entered into, you know, farms in British Columbia. But that virus was ISA, infectious salmon anemia. And unfortunately, even 60 minutes left it hanging at the end, even when Washington, Alaska and British Columbia had all confirmed that the ISA virus was not in the waters of British Columbia. They still left it open at the end that it just may happen. So even 60 minutes I was disappointed with. But but at least they had done the homework, uh, you know, on all the rabbit holes they needed to shoot down. A couple years after that, uh, we filmed with W5. Same thing. They were hanging out with critics for three or four days around the farms. And and we just called them and said, you know, are you going to call us? Are you going to talk to us? Um, And they did. But, you know, Sean, in the end, it was a 24 minute program and we appeared for three minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's a program about you, if it was about Sean's family, you would hope that Sean's family would appear in the majority of the film. Uh, not not your neighbors that have never liked that fence that you put up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and that's how we felt. Um, and and I'll say I, I, I had introduced them to a few of our First Nation business partners that uh, move fish for us and work for us as well. 
And um, they have a really, really compelling story to tell. I mean, I, I worked for 10 years in the small village of, of Clemtu, which was, you know, all operated by uh, our, our First Nation partners. They, they have a fantastic story to tell, and they're extremely um, involved in aquaculture. And I had the host of the show turn to me and just say flat out, you do realize this is just a courtesy interview. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you just said there, but I think I said something worse when, when he said it to me. And and I just looked at my friend across the way that had just spilt his heart out for 10 minutes about how aquaculture is important to his family, um, knowing that he was never going to make it into the 24 minutes. And he didn't. Oh, man. And he didn't. And, and it, it just absolutely shocked me. So a few years ago, I, I had the great opportunity to move to Scotland with my wife uh, and, and work for Moe, my company in Scotland. And Tough. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, it rains in British Columbia and it uh, it rains in Scotland, too. So um, but it's a beautiful place. Uh, and and I had heard that there were some filmmakers out uh, on the sites with an activist. And one of our site managers has called, said, you know, there's a camera out here. There's a drone. There's a scuba diver. There's something going on. Um, and uh, uh, we realized that, yeah, something was kicking off. About five days later, I got a call from somebody who gave me a, a name that I'd never heard of, said, I'm a filmmaker. And we've been about your sites with a critic. And I would like to meet you in about an hour on your salmon farm and talk to you. And uh, I Googled the name and I couldn't find any reference to that person whatsoever. Um, so I just uh, called back and said, you know, I can't confirm who you are. So no, I'm not going to show up in an hour, you yeah. know, at your at your beck and call. Um, well, it turned out to be Seaspiracy. And in the film, if you ever can manage to watch it, Sean, um, uh, you hear him say uh, the big salmon farming companies wouldn't speak to me. Uh -huh. And I thought, wow. That that is a stretch of the truth, if anything. I mean, I didn't know who I was actually speaking to because the name I find out now was just an alias name. It, it wasn't the real name of the of the producer and, and host of the show. Um, so there was no opportunity for me to to appear. Um, and in fact, it looks like we didn't want to appear, which wasn't the case at all. Again, opportunity lost. Um, we did ask right. then uh, when we knew the show was coming out, we asked to appear um, through the association, the uh, Scottish Salmon Association, and we were denied. Absolutely. The answer was no, you could not appear in our film. Mm. Um, and if you look at it, there's enough minutes spent on talking about our business with some incorrect information that we could have uh, could have corrected if the if the filmmaker was interested. Um, and it's the uh, the same for the latest, uh, Eating Our Way to Extinction, which was just released a few weeks ago. Um, we asked to to appear um, and we were absolutely denied. I've, I've seen the exchange. It is, you will not be appearing in our film uh, and we'll give you a sentence or two. So we just had to provide a sentence or two. And you know, I don't know how you guys feel, but anytime I see a documentary about somebody or something and all I see is a sentence, I think, oh, you chicken, you, you didn't show up for the interview. Yeah. You wouldn't get on camera. You know, it, it does influence me yeah. in oh, a negative 100%. way against the character. And, and you know, that was the intent. We're just going to give you a sentence and uh, no one will know that we have denied you the appearance in our program. Um, again, what a shame. And I think just without courage, again, you know, to, to have the courage to explore the issue and, and, and test, 
you know, one's opinion, I think, is is vital in a in a true documentary. And, and that just hasn't happened. Um, and yeah, like you say, reading the comments, you just think has anybody, you know, that has commented in that thread critically thought about what they've watched. And I don't want to you know, I don't want to take away from the fact that everyone is allowed to be critiqued. Everyone is allowed to be questioned. We should all be questioning and critically thinking. And and I think someone coming on the farm and asking me those critical questions and letting me respond is absolutely what should happen. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't take sure. away from some of the images and things we see in those documentaries that even I have an issue with. But from my own personal experience about our business of salmon farming, um, it was poorly represented because it, there wasn't a balance of perspectives at all. Yeah, if there was any representation at all, it was it could have been altered or anything like that. Didn't you tell us a story before about uh, some footage that was completely created for the, that uh, didn't actually connect with any anything that was going on on any of the farms? Yeah, we're we're looking to confirm this. So this would be, you know, this would be uh, exclusive to your program. But oh, um, in in the uh, in in the latest movie eating our way to extinction there is narrative that that says that a a salmon farmer wakes up early in the morning even before the birds are up um, just to get to the farm and spray a chemical cocktail on the pen um and I've, for 30 years i've i've never known that to be an occurrence and uh, i've asked my colleagues if anybody recognizes this scene so it it shows two fellas in the bush with uh, binoculars spying on the salmon farm early in the morning and we we see a character on the farm with a garden hose yeah um <laughs> spraying what looks like something in a salmon pen and uh, the person has brand new protective equipment. It looks like it was just bought at Walmart that morning and uh, um, not a scene we recognize at all. So we've actually sent uh, an inquiry to the director and the producers to say, you know, hey, this is concerning to us because it violates many health and safety protocols. It's not something we recognize. If this is occurring, we'd like to get to the bottom of it. Please let us know where this was filmed. And we haven't heard a peep back, um, <laughs> which strongly suggests um, that this uh, this this was produced to support a narrative that isn't true. And and I mean, how frustrating is that? The first of all, you don't get the opportunity to appear on camera to talk about your business. Not only that, but it looks very clear that they've made stuff up just to, you know, complement their narrative that this is bad. Yeah. And you shouldn't like it. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I uh, I might have to travel to California and, and visit one of the producers at their workplace and, and stick a camera in their face and ask some questions. Very Michael Moore style. <laughs> this is how you guys do this, right? <laughs> yeah. We have to check exactly. the returns at Walmart for protective gear and see if we can back yeah, get all the receipts. Yeah. <laughs> Rifle through the garbage, get the receipts. Um, all right. So th thanks for sharing all of those those uh, experiences again this is my second time hearing every one of these stories and it's just it's it's still surprising to me i want to shift a little bit and steve you can elaborate on this a little bit on the impact to the industry what the reaction has been kind of how it's been handled from our industry's point of view um steve when these first started coming out recently what what did you notice uh was happening in, in regards to the industry itself and kind of what the response was well, um, it's, you know, part of, part of my job is, um, is monitoring, uh, the media and I, um, 
track media mentions for Global Seafood Alliance and its brands, but also aquaculture and fisheries, seafood in general. Mm -hmm. And when you track media mentions for a documentary like Seaspiracy, it's tens of thousands versus maybe thousands for anything that we would consider to be uh, positive on on aquaculture. So it kind of becomes like a numbers game. <laughs> once once you get backed by, as, as Ian was saying, someone who has a big following like a celebrity or get your product into a streaming service like Netflix, you're just you're playing a numbers game. You're getting out there so much with your message that it just um, it just kind of it, it can tend to overwhelm the the work that I'm doing or Ian's doing or any communicator in, in seafood is doing. So I think that's what's um, um, frustrating about it. Just they're just sometimes just playing playing the numbers game. So so did you see? I I know that now when I and this might just be because of my search history and when my history in my uh, web browser, but when I searched Seaspiracy, just that documentary name in general, uh, the majority of the articles that I found were actually re- rebutting a lot of the information in there and, and clarifying some of the oh, questions, totally. which is, yeah. it, 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 you know, you, you did, did you notice this initial wave of like support for all of those ideas that was followed by this almost larger wave of, I don't want to say combating them, but correcting them? Is that what you noticed? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And sometimes really, really in depth. I think it was Ray Hillborn at the University of Washington and his team with a very, very detailed response to Seaspiracy. And, and even our own, now the Responsible Seafood Advocate article, that article on Seaspiracy was by far uh, had more traffic than any other article ever. So it, the, a, a documentary like this can draw attention to the work that, that we do and to the work that Ian does. It gets more notice because uh, people are now searching for um, uh, the truth. Searching for yeah, <laughs> they're they're searching for other opinions. Yeah, and wow. that brings our opinions out there more, more, more than they would normally get out there. I think, uh, and I think it's a logical response to that kind of right? movie that has excluded your voice. I mean, Ray Hilborn and and the rest didn't have a voice in that movie that that perception or that perspective wasn't included so i'm glad to see both fisheries and aquaculture strongly respond and, and balance and you know i often talk to people that have heard kind of the negative side about seafood and fisheries and aquaculture and they'll say you know i understand the truth is in the middle somewhere and i that, that scares me because i'm like whoa 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 that is so <laughs> far over to this side i i can't stretch it so far over the other side that it's going to be right in the middle, in right, the yeah. middle. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we do have to uh, quickly respond to these things and make corrections. Otherwise, you know, again, a lie has run around the world three times before truth has its boots on. Yeah, <laughs> right. You can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. So, no. Steve, you mentioned in the beginning of this episode, you mentioned how we should be taking a more proactive approach to this as opposed to reactive. I think, you know, seeing that wave of initial support for the for them documentaries and then the second wave of um people looking for other opinions that is mm-hmm. a very reactive reactive reaction <laughs> reactive <laughs> approach to this um what what can we actually do to be more proactive because let's be honest there's this is going to happen again right oh it is it is um just you know not just not waiting for anything i mean just you, 
whatever your your strategy is with communications and marketing, just actively getting your messages out there. I know we do that at the Global Seafood Alliance and most of the major seafood players do the same thing. I think better now than 20 years ago when I started in this industry. I, I think um, it's, the industry's gotten a lot better about that. And and that media and through the internet and it, spreading information is is just so much easier now than it was um, than it was years ago. Mm. So there's really no excuse in this day and age not to be proactive in them. The, the negativity, will it's coming, it will be there. But if you're countering it before it even gets out there and, and consistently pushing out your messages, then, you know, I think that that's the best approach. Ian, do you have any opinions on that? Well, I have an opinion on everything, Sean. <laughs> that's why you're um, on this show. <laughs> and I guarantee this is probably not the last time that you're going to be on this show. So get ready for another email from me, by the way. Brilliant. We I'll love your opinions. Um, I, uh, you know, I know there's a hunger out there for information and, uh, you know, we talked about science and fact and detail that may be boring, but there is an audience for that. Uh, and there's also an audience for those emotional storytelling stories. So like Steve says, you know, there's, there's an appetite to tell these stories and we need to find the channels that deliver it to that audience. And, and we need to, you know, let's give them credit. Like you said, the production value of these programs that are critical about us are high end, uh, you know, they're well connected they're well distributed um we need to be doing yeah well marketed and we need to be doing some of that work there was a study uh launched today from dalhousie university here in canada that talked about uh kind of acceptance of farm seafood in canada and it shows despite the headlines that have occurred in north america and canada over the last decade that most people prefer farm-raised seafood from the ocean um, you know, and as we debate land-based and ocean-based and all, uh, but the clear message was they felt very confused. I mean, there was just so many confusing messages. And I, I think, you know, as seafood, we are one big family. It doesn't matter if you're farm seafood, wild seafood with land, you know, land-based, ocean-based, we're all providing seafood. Um, and we want people to walk to the back of the store, head to the seafood counter and enjoy a selection of different types of seafood. Um, and we're competing with so many other foods and so many other messages that we need to collectively get together and tell a compelling story that delivers data, delivers science, and delivers it in an emotional, understanding way um, to the audience. And, and if we don't fill that gap in this thirst for knowledge, others will do it for us. Um, and let's not give them the opportunity. And let's always show up when we're given the opportunity to, uh, to speak uh, on ourselves. And we'll continue to do that if we're given the opportunity. But I'll tell you, when we're not given the opportunity, we will make that very clear to the audience so they're aware that we were blocked from the discussion. Right. And, and Sean, to answer what you had asked earlier about the impact of, of shockumentaries, yeah. seafood sales, especially retail, were, were through the the roof last year. Yeah, and we've talked about uh, that. North the, America, yeah. The percentages <laughs> so, of of retail from <laughs> from grocery stores, especially particularly frozen seafood, those numbers were not believable. We didn't believe them at first. They were ridiculous how much they went up during the pandemic. Right, right. Just so just because of the ne- negativity, the the other factors that affect what people are eating hmm. at home and away from home doesn't doesn't really change. So, 
Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, saying that though, for aquaculture, you need a place to grow the fish. So, you know, we've we've often seen the market grow, you know, four to six percent a year, and and yes, throughout this pandemic, those numbers have been outrageously encouraging as well. Um, but we do need to maintain social license in areas right. where we operate. You know, we need to grow the fish somewhere, whether it's on land or in the ocean. You need that social license, and you know, a negative narrative over time, you know, it influences people. So it's enlightening to see this new study of over 10,000 people that say, you know, despite these headlines and despite these very political decisions that aren't based on science that have occurred here in Canada, at least, that uh, consumers appreciate knowing where their food comes from and farming gives you that traceability. And they like they like fish from the ocean. That's, you know, they, they, they enjoy that. So it's we just need to we need to continue to be open, transparent. Um, and I think I said in one of my articles recently that uh, I've always been proud to work in a sector that despite, you know, some data being used against them or manipulated, we continue to provide data for the public just to be transparent far more than any other sector or food sector, terrestrial foods. Um, and, and even though it's discouraging when someone takes your data and manipulates it, I still am proud to work with a bunch of, uh, of, of, of very honest people that just want to do the right thing, grow healthy food and make sure the consumer knows where it comes from. Yeah. You got to wonder yeah. too, if there's a laziness associated with that, right? Like the message that these documentaries are pushing is for very big change, lifestyle change for a lot of people. And it's easy to be an armchair activist and, and, you know, anonymously say what you're going to say on the internet, but to, for people to actually change and stop eating seafood or eat less seafood is actually, it's a pretty big ask. So I think we do have that on our side that, uh, the, you know, the routine of a regular seafood consumption is definitely on our side. Uh, we are getting low on time, but Steve, I know you had a couple final thoughts that you really wanted to make sure we hit on. So why don't you go ahead and, and uh, discuss those? And then Ian, if you have any final thoughts too, we'll, we'll give you the floor as well. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I think, you know, I just, I'm, I don't know about you, Ian, but just, just fascinated by the rise of, of the vegan movement and just, just fascinated by it. And I'm not saying anyone's right or wrong. And I really, truly do think there's room in the marketplace for all these different types of products, including our own products, uh, farm seafood. But I, it's just this activist kind of transitioning from education to entrepreneurship is, to me, is really what set the vegan community on fire. And you really have a lot of these entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of whom are coming from Silicon Valley and they're, um, uh, you know, they believe that technology is the ultimate solution to social problems. And, and they think animal agriculture, whether on land or at sea, is they, they kind of see it as inefficient or outdated and in need of disruption. So, you know, there's just, I, I feel like the, the, the billionaires have just been wooed by this um, pragmatism and uh, these, uh, these educators turned entrepreneurs. And, and it's just started really flooding muddy into not only startups, but into the NGO community and, you know, which has been much more savvy about um, marketing and, and uh, kind of this line between uh, nonprofits and for-profits is, is kind of blurring. And I think maybe that's where more of the negativity that we're, we're finding now about aquaculture, maybe I feel like a lot of it's coming from that. So I just think that's something worth noting when we think about where where is the negativity coming from? Why is that? And interested to hear your your thoughts on that. Just something I follow uh, closely. And again, not saying anyone's right or wrong, but just I just think it's an interesting phenomenon. Well, 
I mean, there are many vested interests, and, and I have a vested interest of why I got into aquaculture. I mean, I, I shared that. I, I thought, you know, we were overfishing, and I wanted to be a part of that solution, and that's how I feel 30 years later. And to make it clear, I have no problem with vegans whatsoever, but generally, that's fine. They have a vested interest. Just be honest about it, you know, from the outset. If you're going to create a movie that is pushing the vegan lifestyle, just just be honest about it, and then I, I can deal with it. But you know, whether um, you're, you know, you have a house on the shoreline and you don't want to see a salmon farm or, or, or whether you're a commercial fisherman and you find it marketing competition. I mean, everybody's got this interest and vested interest in the business. And, and you know, I, I'm fine with that. Just be honest about what your interest is. But I'll just go back to, to what I said maybe halfway through the program. And I just think we're at this point and a bit of a tipping point where people are looking for hope instead of hopelessness, where people are looking for solutions instead of, you know, just living in fear. And aquaculture absolutely ticks so many of those boxes for so many people. So I, I think there's an opportunity to tell our story, and that's one of hope. And it complements uh, commercial fishing very, very well. So it will be fisheries and aquaculture in the, uh, in the future. There will be critics, and there will always be critics. I just hope, as we've discussed in this program, that we have the opportunity to have the dialogue so people that aren't close to the issue can just make a decision based on, you know, what they know. Uh, and, uh, and and that's, I think, all we ask. Um, let's see if it uh, can happen. Very well said. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, Ian, one of the, how we usually wrap up the show is any listener that would like to learn more or may have some questions for you, what's the best way for them to contact you? I'm listed on the website. You can contact me through the website. And I'm also on LinkedIn, um, which I like to share uh, opinions on LinkedIn and have dialogue. So please connect with me there. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to uh, to that dialogue if it happens. And Steve, what, how would you prefer people to get in contact with you if they want to talk to you about any, any of this? My, my GSA email, LinkedIn, uh, WhatsApp. Or you can reach Any? Steve through us. <laughs> we we work. <laughs> that's, that's, we're like that's we're like two too. doors down too. the down the hall from him. So you, I'm, you can I'm not, us too. I'm not harmed to find. I'm one of those idiots who puts their cell phone on the internet because I don't want to miss an oh, opportunity man. to talk something, talk about something seafood related. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you both so much for joining us for this topic. I'm sure it's a topic that we will revisit at some point. Yeah. And uh, Ian, we'd love to have you on again. Talk about all kinds. Of, you, there's plenty of stuff that we could talk about with you. So. Um, we really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'll look forward to it. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, thanks, Ian. That was really good stuff. Folks, that was our conversation with Ian Roberts from Moe and Steve Hedlund from here at GSA. As always, we hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I did. It was a fascinating topic. I was really into it. We hope you learned something, and we hope you can spread the message that we're trying to send uh, with this episode. So remember, if you want every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available, you need to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you get your podcasts. And again, follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod, and if you want to reach out to us for any reason, do so by filling out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And finally, if you like our show, please leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. And one last reminder for this episode, if you love this episode and you think it's important and you think the mission is, is worthy of it, please go ahead and share this uh, wherever you find it, whether it's on Twitter, or Facebook, or wherever. If any episode should go viral, this it is definitely one of this them. One. So uh, please feel free to share this episode or any other episodes in the past or future that you enjoy from Aquademia and help grow the community. We really appreciate that. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.